All right. About 25 years ago, uh, I went to the master's college. I, I transferred in, and, and uh, I had never, I, I really had never even seen John MacArthur, who was the president of that college, and uh, he had a big church, you know, in the area, and that weekend, the first weekend that I was there, I went to it, because I was excited to hear this guy speak for the first time. I had heard him maybe on the radio, but never had seen him in person, and so I went to his church, and, and got in the service, and sat down. There's some songs, and then the college pastor got up to speak. And I thought maybe he was just going to introduce Pastor John, but um, nope, he took the entire thing. So I, I guess I'm telling you that because if you came this morning hoping to hear from Pastor Darren, I feel your pain, and I <laughs> offer my humble condolences. But I am grateful to have a little opportunity to be here at this, at this church that's special to me in a lot of ways, most especially these days because of uh, Darren and Shannon's involvement here. And... Um, Darren uh, has been a, a longtime friend and a co-worker in the gospel, and I can't tell you how proud we are at Arbor Road Church of um, having a guy who was associated with our church. Now, uh, here at this place, um, a titan of churches in California, in, in America, known for all the right reasons, known for your passion for God's word, and to see people who are away from Christ drawn near to him. And I'm excited to be here this morning speaking on a morning where you're focusing in on some vision pushing you forward and propelling you down this path of being a church that's engaging people for all the right reasons. I'm grateful even to have an opportunity to speak on this, this pillar of uh, prophetic engagement, of engaging people in Jesus' name, of being a, a, a people, men and women of faith, who are engaging those around us who don't know Christ, who are being winsome to them and drawing them near. It's good to be around good people. You want to have those types of people in your life. You know, one of the problems of hiring really great people onto a church staff is other churches will, what's the biblical word for it? Poach them away from you. That's the one I was looking for, yeah. But I always say, I'm always grateful to have people on our staff that other churches would want to come and take away from me, because if you're not interested in the people that I've hired, well, then I've hired some real stinkers, you know, and I'm stuck with them now. So I'm grateful to have people come and look at our staff and say, hey, that's someone that I would be interested in having coming to my church. I want to be surrounded by good people, and I'm guessing you do too. I'm guessing you just assume not have enemies in your life, right? You'd rather not have people that think lowly of you, but I'll, I'll bet that if we were honest in here today, we'd all have to admit we have those types of people in our lives. They just don't care about us for one reason or another. Maybe we've burned them, burned a bridge. Maybe we've said something that we shouldn't have said to them or behind their backs. Maybe we act in ways that just frustrates them, and we know that we're pushing buttons and pulling levers but we're not changing the way that we do things. We've all got people who think not so kindly of us. There was a pastor who actually asked his church one day, how many of you would say that you have no enemies in your life? You know, and everyone started chuckling and some guy starts raising his hand and his wife like puts it down, you know. <laughs> how many of you would say you have no enemies? And of course, no one is raising their hand, but there was an old guy in the back, just an old curmudgeon of a guy, like 102 years old, who raises his hand nice and high so everyone can see it. And everyone starts looking and laughing and then starts clapping for him. And the pastor called him down and said, sir, come down here. Come down to the front. He made his way and he hobbled his way up onto the stage and waddled his way over to the pastor. And the pastor said, this is incredible. I mean, it's great because you're, you've lived a lot of life and you have no enemies. How can that be? What is the secret to living a life and having no enemies? How are you getting that done? How can you have none? And he said, they're all dead. 
<laughs> I think that's probably the only way that it can actually happen, right? Hey, we, we all want to be known for the right reasons. We want to engage the people that God has put into our, our paths. We want to have uh, prophetic impact on their lives. And after I'm done here, Pastor Darren's going to come back and he's going to talk about some very specific ways that uh, Evie Free Fullerton is going to be able to step into prophetic engagement. So I thought that I would just take the time that I'm allotted here today to speak about that other thing, the thing that prophetic engagement needs to be rooted in, demonstrable faith. What is demonstrable faith? What is it? What does it mean to have genuine, living, demonstrable faith? What does that even mean? What's that look like in the lives of people who follow after Christ? You know, the Bible is jam-packed with affirmations of a particular order. We all want to have an impact for Christ, but it's not a matter of having the impact first. No. First, it's demonstrable faith. First, it's a living, active, genuine faith that propels us into prophetic engagement, into prophetic impact. And the Bible, again, is jam-packed with an affirmation of that order. Living faith ushers in prophetic impact. And the people that we admire most in the Bible, those people that we would say had the highest degree of impact, all were living that out. They were first very serious about God. They were walking with God. Then God used them as an agent of blessing to his people. Enoch walked with God. Noah was a light among the people before God called him to do what he called him to do. Uh, Numbers 12 calls Moses the meekest person on the earth. Elijah, Isaiah, Daniel, and his friends there in Babylon. Jesus even said of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, that of, of men born of women, no one has been born greater than John the Baptist. See, these were people that were cultivating a relationship with God, and out of the overflow of their genuine, living, demonstrable faith, had prophetic impact, had a, a prophetic engagement with people, had a prophetic moment to move people closer to the Lord himself. I want you to, with me, dive back into the passage we're looking at in Philippians chapter 2, because Paul introduces us to two more guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Both of these people special to Paul, special to the ministry of the Lord, and were known for all the right reasons. And from their lives, because it happened very quickly in front of us a few minutes ago as we were reading through that text, we get to really see what it is about these men that made them usable by God. Some character qualities in their lives that I think if we were just to learn to absorb these character qualities will make us even more effective as agents of blessing of Christ to the world. It will make us even more uh, engaging. It'll make us even more influential as we prophetically, in Jesus' name, bring the good news. Let's talk about what prophetic or what dem- demonstrable faith looks like. But before we get back to the text uh, at verse 20, look at verse 29 with me. Look at this, because this is the really, this is the crux of the whole thing. Paul says, receive him. At that moment, he's speaking of Epaphroditus, but he could have just as easily been speaking of Timothy. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Honor them. Honor such men, such women. Honor such people who are living out these types of qualities in their lives. Let's look at three that we see in the life of Timothy. I want you to catch out of the top here in verse 20 where he says, I have no one like Timothy, no one like him who will be genuinely concerned 
for your welfare. Genuinely concerned. I want you to grab the word sincere. Demonstrable faith is sincere. Sincere. Sincerity. Do you know people who can just communicate with sincerity? Who can genuinely and sincerely demonstrate love and affection and care for others? Sincerity. There's a pastor in Dallas, Texas named Chris Edwardson. And he was writing in Christianity Today of a time that he had with a judge who had broken his foot. He came in for his appointment, but he was early to appointments. He wasn't scheduled, but the judge made an appointment and came and sat with Dr. Edwardson. Dr. Edwardson's a Christian man, loves Jesus. The judge, as it turns out, had no uh, affiliation with Christ, with the church, with other believers. Judge makes the appointment, comes in and sees uh, Dr. Edwardson. And the doctor says, you know, Judge, uh, I don't know why you're here today. We were due for another couple of weeks. Things looked fine. You know, um, I'll let you know if things go awry. Is there any other reason, any other thing bothering you today? And the judge said to him, you know, I have a heaviness in my heart. I'm going through a lot of things right now. It starts breaking down. It starts to kind of well up with tears. He says, the last time I was in here with you, he says, I saw something in you that was different. And he says, you know, as a judge, my job is to size things up quickly to look at someone and be discerning. And I saw something in you that was different. And I just got the sense that I could talk to you about some of the things that I'm walking through. And he just kind of leveled out various things in his life, his marriage and kids, et cetera, that he's walking through. And Dr. Everson said, I shared the gospel with him there in my patient's room. And that day he prayed to receive Jesus as a savior. Why? Sincerity. He saw something in the doctor. Sincerity. Never underestimate the power of sincerity in your life. Because, listen to me, people are not stupid. Well, generally, people are not stupid, okay? (laughs) They see right through it. They know when we're being fake, when we're being hypocritical. Sincerity. We're very, very skilled as human beings. We have acute senses lined up and zeroed in on fakes. We size people up, and guess what? Others are sizing us up, too. Paul says, I got this in Timothy, a guy who is sincere, was a top-shelf quality in the life of Timothy. Who are you you and I supposed to be? What are we supposed to be looking like? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 14, he says, but thanks to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You and I are supposed to be a people who smell like Christ. And I know that sounds kind of weird to hear, but that's the sense. The aroma of Christ to the world. A top shelf quality in Paul's mind. Who are the people that are sincere in your life? And what would it take for you and I to look more like those people in our lives? Demonstrable faith is sincere. Here's another one in verse 21. It's selfless. Look at what Paul says back in Philippians 2.21. He says, For everyone else seeks their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Everyone else seeks their own interests. But Timothy... He's seeking others' interests. He's seeking the interests of Jesus Christ. Now, now given, Paul had other people in his life that he could say were also selfless. He didn't say anything of Titus or of Silas. He didn't say anything of Barnabas. He could have said this about Epaphroditus. 
But he says this of Timothy. Here is a guy who is extremely selfless. I could have used the word humble. Pastor Jeff last week was talking out of Philippians chapter 2, the first several verses. Humility. Take this upon yourselves, the same as Christ gives us an example. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. If you and I are going to live out a faith that makes sense to people, if we're going to engage people in a prophetic way, in Jesus' name, we have to come at this thing selflessly. This is how Timothy, in essence, was presented to Paul as a selfless, humble person. Do you struggle with pride? Do you struggle with kind of looking like the rest of the world? Everyone out there in sports and, and in music and, and in entertainment industries are thinking about themselves with very few exceptions. But God's people are called to rise above that, to be selfless. And we see that in the life of Timothy. Demonstrable faith, a living faith is a selfless faith. It's a humble faith. Verse 22, here's another one. He says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. You know Timothy, his proven worth. The word that I would draw from that is demonstrable faith. A living faith is reliable. Reliable. You can trust it. Look at his track record. Look at his past. You know his proven worth. You know how this guy has walked with me through the difficult times. He's reliable as the sunshine. I think a lot of us take reliability for granted. But God wants to use people who are proven, who are stepping into the arena day after day after day. A great example of that would be Joseph way back in the book of Genesis. Joseph and the technicolor dream coat Joseph is what I'm talking about. The one who was sold into slavery by his brothers who was cast into Egypt, who was given to the house of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to rape her. He's pushed into prison for crimes that he did not commit. But while he was in prison, it says the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison clearly knew who Joseph was, his track record. He knew who he had proven to be, who he was reliably being, through his life. Verse 22, it says, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord make succeed. Here's a picture of a person who was reliable enough to be seen even by outsiders as something special. He was proven. Are you faithful? Are you walking your talk? Are you reliable in God's eyes? Are you the man or the woman who can be seen as faithfully there, walking this life out, reliable as the sunshine? Timothy was proven, Paul says. And proven is a matter of of, of looking backward. It's a great track record. And you might be saying, I got a spotty track record. I wish I could call myself reliable, but I'm kind of flaky. That just won't fly if we're going to be people who are going to engage people in Jesus' name. We have to be proven. We've got to be reliable. And listen to me. All track records have a beginning. And perhaps yours needs to start today, where you say before God and maybe before a few others around you, I want to be known as steadfast and faithful 
and reliable. He points these three things out in Timothy's life as demonstrable. His faith is genuine. It's sincere. It's selfless. It's reliable. Who do you know that that represents people like that? A person like Timothy. Who do you know that's sincere and selfless and reliable? And what would it take for you to look a little bit more like them? And I'll ask myself, what would it take for Brent Eldridge to look a little bit more like the people that God has put in my path who are, who are affecting others in Jesus' name, and they're doing it first out of the overflow of demonstrable faith, of a genuine living faith? Listen to me. God has put you where you're at on purpose. You're not there on accident. It's not for no reason at all that you're attending the college that you're attending, that you live in the dorm where you're at, that you have the job that you have, that you live in the home that you have, that you're in the neighborhood that you're living in. It's not by accident that you're married to the spouse that you have, have the children that you have, the friends that you have, the impact you have. If you think that you're there in your work, in your relationships, at your college, because of your good looks and your good luck, you're missing the point of the whole thing. God has put you there. And his expectation is prophetic engagement, imprint, impact. That's not something that comes of your own strength. No, that's something that he wants to do through you. He wants to do that through you. Paul was actually a great example of this because he's about ready to transition to Epaphroditus. But I want you to notice something before we look at Epaphroditus. Look, at, look back in verse 19 and look at verse 24. Verse 19, Paul says, I hope in the Lord. And then he continues. In verse 24, he says, I trust in the Lord. And then he continues, in the Lord, in the Lord. That's something that Paul says multiple times in the book of Philippians because he, because he loved the Lord. He loved him. And it was out of that vital union of loving the Lord that Paul was able to exercise the things that God had put into his path. In fact, throughout the book of Philippians, he speaks of being in the Lord multiple times. Here's a jet tour. Philippians 1.8. He loves in the Lord. Philippians 2.24, as we see, he grounds his confidence in the Lord. Philippians 3.3, he rejoices in the Lord. And in 4.10, the same way. Philippians 1.26, he desires that others rejoice in the Lord. In uh, Philippians 2.29, he called others to welcome Christian leaders in the Lord. In Philippians 4.1, he called others to always stand firm in the Lord. See, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. If you're rooting your service to God in anything other than the Lord, you're doing it in vain. You're doing it on your own strength. You can't get it done on your own. And you might want to have a great testimony, and you might want to have a huge impact in the lives of the people that God has put in front of you, but if you're doing it on your own strength, it's just it's less than it should be. Sincerity is one thing, but sincerity in the Lord is multiplied. Humility is one thing, but humility in the Lord is multiplied. I have the privilege of serving as the chaplain for one of LA's soccer teams, LA Galaxy. And I got this, this opportunity uh, eight years ago, eight, eight seasons ago. The vice president at the time came to me and asked if I'd be willing to work with some of the players some of the front office. I didn't know anything about soccer. I'd never played soccer before. I couldn't name a couple of soccer players, and they were the ones who were on Wheaties boxes, so that was it for me. I had no idea, but I said, if it's a people job, 
I can do it. I, I can get that done. I, I think I'd enjoy that. And so I started going and meeting with players, and it's been an awesome time. Front office and the U teams and all that kind of stuff. But I'll never forget Chris Klein, who was the vice president at the time, and now he's the president of the team. He called me into his office, and he was explaining protocols of walking around the stadium, because I was curious. Where could I go? Where should I not go? And he took out this lanyard, this credential that he had put together for me. And he's given me one every single year since. I brought my 2014 lanyard because this is the last time we won the cup. So this is my favorite one right here. But I have my picture on it. It has the word all underneath it. It says Brent Eldridge, LA Galaxy team chaplain. And on the side, it says all access. So I... uh, I was looking at this thing. I was pretty excited about it. He took this thing and he put it around my neck. And he said, as long as you're wearing this lanyard, you can go anywhere you want on our property. You can go into the locker room. You can go into the weight room, the nutrition rooms, the lounges, the press boxes. You can go into the tunnels. You can go into the various lounges. You can go into, uh, onto the field. You could be down by the bench, anywhere you want to walk. And as long as you're wearing this, people will know that you are with me. So I put this thing around my neck and I thought that I'd give it a try, you know? I was walking around, there's a door up there and there's a couple of big dudes standing at the door and I'm walking up and I'm 10 feet and I'm, I'm five feet and I'm three feet thinking, are they gonna stop me? And they see this and they open the door and they let me through. I don't even know where I'm at. I'm just walking through doors at this point, you know? <laughs> I go over and I see the practice field is over there and there's another guy standing and he's got his little calm and I'm walking up to him and I've got this thing on and Chris said it would work and I'm walking closer and closer and sure enough, he opens the gate, he lets me in. Guys will come over to me and talk to me. I have a credential. I'm with, I'm with somebody. It says that I can be with them. And this little card here has given me access to hundreds of conversations. Without this thing, I'd be carted out. Without this thing, they tell me to go away. But because Chris has put this around my neck, this has given me access, the right kind of power to engage people. And this is soccer. This is just a stadium. Let me remind you of something. Hebrews 4.16 tells us that because of what Jesus has done for us, in essence, taking something like this, only a salvation, and putting it around our neck, we can, therefore, enter into the throne room of grace with confidence. And receive mercy and grace in our time of need. We have the ultimate supply of power available to us because Jesus has put this around our neck. And he says, as long as you've got this salvation around your neck, people will know that you are with me. If you're trying to do anything on your own power, if you're saying, I don't need this, I'm good enough, you're selling yourself and the gospel short. That's why Paul is quick to tell us it's in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. Being rooted in the Lord is the main thing. And then he switches over to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, great name, huh? Epaphroditus, how'd you like to bubble that one into your SATs? Epaphroditus, you think we're clever with names these days. Clay pot, shooting star, porridge, Epaphroditus. I mean, imagine having that name. More on his name in a couple of minutes here. Let's look at what Paul had to say about Epaphroditus. Let's continue to understand what demonstrable faith is. Demonstrable faith. I want you to catch out of verse 25 something that Paul had to say about Epaphroditus. Verse 25. I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. 
He has come to minister to me. You send him to minister to me. Here's the word that I want you to gravitate toward. Demonstrable faith is generous. Generous. Why should we grab the word generous out of the reality that the church at Philippi had sent Epaphroditus to Paul? I've been to Philippi before. I don't know if you've been to anybody in the room happened to have ever been to Philippi before. Anybody at all? Okay, I see a couple of hands. So you know that to get to Philippi, you actually go to Thessaloniki. You land in Thessaloniki, and then you take a bus a couple of hours, two or three hours to get to Philippi. We were putting together a trip of the footsteps of Paul, and we decided after we had taken a three-hour bus ride to go see Philippi, it just wasn't worth it. We decided to cut it out of the trip. We thought three hours is too long to get out there, and then another three hours to come back. We'll just tell people about it, you know? And that was three hours of being on a bus, playing on a phone, texting people. Three hours bus ride, too far. Listen to me. Philippi was 4,600 miles away from Rome. Still is, actually. 4,600 miles away from Rome. (laughs) And Epaphroditus, he didn't have a bus. He didn't have, you know, a, a, a jet This is a guy who's walking on horseback, on a mule, taking boats, going very, very slowly, made the trek, 4,600 miles. What is that, New York and back? That's a long way to go. But he was willing to do it. Generosity. You never forget a generous person. You never do. I'll bet you know people who are generous, have been generous to you. You never forget them. They were there for you when you needed them. They stepped up and they helped you when you weren't expecting it. And Paul says, this guy's a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a minister to my needs. He was willing to take his own interests and lay them aside and engage the interests of me. And I'm so thankful for his generosity. It's interesting because the church at Philippi was actually planted because of generosity. If you remember Acts 16, remember Lydia, when Paul and his associates went out to the river and they found Lydia out there, the dealer of purple from Thyatira. Remember this? And, and she hears the gospel and she responds to it and she invites Paul and his friends in and they stay with her. She was a wealthy person and she took care of them. And I'm guessing continued to take care of the church at Philippi through the years. Generosity. God is calling us to be Generous people, marked by generosity, marked by a willingness to just look out for others. Paul says Epaphroditus is a shining example of generosity. Demonstrable faith is generous. Here's another one in verse 26. Demonstrable faith is considerate. Listen to this quandary. He says, for he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Let me unpack that a little bit for us. Somewhere along the line, Epaphroditus got sick. So he's dealing with being sick, and being sick is no fun. We all know what that feels like. You're just exhausted. You just want to not talk to anybody. He wants to be out of everyone's way. Epaphroditus had grown sick. Paul goes on about that a little bit to say he was really sick, almost died. But, but Epaphroditus hears that the church at Philippi had heard that he was sick and that they were worried about him. And it made him be worried about them. I mean, this guy is seriously so selfless and humble. He's so considerate of other people. While he should have been receiving their consideration and care, he's actually concerned for them. He's concerned for them. He's considerate of them. He was in desperate need of help. Look at what Paul says in 27. I'll just continue on. He was ill, near to death. 
But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me too, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He says, I'm more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice seeing him, and that I may be less anxious. I know that you want to see this guy. I know that you're worried about him, but he's worried that you're worried that he's worried that you're worried. It's like a back and forth thing. He couldn't let it go. He was concerned for them. He was considerate of their needs. Who do you know that's just good at that? That's just considerate of others. That doesn't walk by the homeless person. That doesn't walk by the person who is thirsty and hungry and naked and a stranger. The person who is sick or in prison. The orphan, the widow. Who do you know that is just good at having an eye for people like that and is just drawn to them? They get to them first. They take care of their needs. They're considerate of others. That was Epaphroditus. And that's a living faith, by the way. You want to influence people? You want to have prophetic engagement? It starts by an overflow of your welling heart of being Christ to them in these ways, being generous, being considerate. And there's one more here before we're going to be landing our plane. I want you to see it in verse 30. He says, Epaphroditus, for he, he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He nearly died for it, but he wasn't going to get chewed away. He wasn't going to get moved away from, from his mission. Demonstrable faith, I would say, drawing from this, is dedicated. It's dedicated to the program. It's dedicated to the calling. It's not a people who are flimsy and oscillating, who allow the bad times to move us off mission, who allow the certain... Um, pitfalls and and obstacles in our path to remove us from being effective for Christ. It's dedicated. It's different than reliable in that reliability is something that looks backward. Dedication is something that looks forward. He's dedicated. This guy's not going to be moved, rain or shine. He is is not going to be shooed away by anybody. He is going to keep his head down. He's going to stay on point, on mission, for Christ. And I have found that the kind of impact that God has allowed me to have with people in my life that are not Christians, that do not know Jesus, it tends to be a long-range thing. It's very, very rarely like a short-range thing. I'm called to be committed to, to them. I'm called to be committed to my master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's calling each of us to do the same. This is something that was seen and was highlighted in the life of Epaphroditus. This guy is dedicated to it. And again, after these things, sincerity and selflessness, reliability and generosity, being considerate of others and being dedicated, Paul says, honor such people. These are the types of people that God can use. The broken vessels, the humble ones who are doing things in the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are ranging throughout the earth, looking for hearts that are totally committed to him, that he would strengthen them. When his eyes fall on you, does he see a person who is fully committed to him? Or are you vacillating? Are you sort of in with one foot and out with the other? You're good at doing this thing on a Sunday morning, but as soon as you leave here, it's like you forget that you were even here. It's not the kind of person that God can or will use in prophetic influence, in prophetic impact, in prophetic engagement. No, he wants to use a type of people 
who are, who are crossing the T's and checking these types of boxes in their hearts before him, cultivating a love and a passion for him that out of it he can use. I told you we come back to Epaphroditus. Crazy name, right? Epaphroditus actually means favored by Aphrodites. Aphrodites, the Greek uh, goddess of love and of gambling, by the way. In fact, men who would gamble would throw the dice and they would say, Epaphrodites, as they threw the dice. Favored by Aphrodites. So they would actually yell out Epaphrodites' name, which meant favored by Aphrodites, hoping that they would get lucky. Can you imagine having your name associated with something that people would yell as they're gambling for good luck? It's kind of a play on words, though, I think, that Paul does here in verse 30, where he says he nearly died for the work of Christ. He's so committed to this. He says, risking his life. I think he was playing on the, the name of Epaphrodites. He's, he's gambling with his life for Christ, not for gain, not for money, not for fortune. No, he's doing this because of his passion for the ministry work of Jesus. Listen to me. You and I are going to have a lot of opportunities to have prophetic engagement in our, in our lives. In fact, that's a real special thing here in this world. Someday in heaven, we will be able to worship with one another. We will, um, as we're worshiping here. And someday in heaven, we're going to have fellowship with each other and community with those who have gone before us. Fellowship, though, as we experience it here, even better. The one thing that you will not be able to do in heaven that you can do here is evangelize. Share the love of Jesus with people who are lost and dying in their sin. That's something special that God has given to us here. But before we step into the prophetic engagement, we have to make sure that our hearts are right. And as we focus our attention in on demonstrable faith, being rooted in a genuine living faith, those moments of engagement will come. They've come for me in various shapes and forms, sometimes with a high level of success and just a lot of, yes, God, thank you for this opportunity. In some cases, not so great. Uh, Years back, my wife and I were invited to go to the season, actually the series finale of American Idol when it was on uh, Fox. American Idol, and we had like kind of third deck seats, and, and we were walking by this lady, and she had this lanyard and this headset, and she kind of pulled us aside, and she said, oh no, you guys come with me. I have new seats for you. And she put us like five rows in back of the judges. It was so awesome. And we were big American Idol fanatics. You know, I had a friend that was working with all the cameras on the show. That's how we got in there. But we were sitting in back of the judges, and we're sitting around. People were all excited, you know. Um, they, were, uh, they were just kind of stacking the seats in back to like have people wearing different colors, et cetera, et cetera. And so you're sitting around people you didn't know. And so my wife and I all jazzed, you know, decided, let's get to know the people around us. And so we just started asking the people around us, hey, what's your name? And he says, oh, I'm, I'm Dennis, you know. I'm from the East Coast. We're all from the East Coast. We don't know each other, but we just met each other here because we saw the sign outside, and then we got in line, and they brought us down here to sit. And I said, well, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm going to be a student at Pepperdine. I'm going to study math. He said that he, had, uh, he, was, he was a Catholic, a uh, big Catholic family in, in, uh, in Philadelphia, and he said, I'm coming out to kind of like a, it's a religious college is what he called it. He goes, but I'm excited because it's sort of like in a party area, and so I'm kind of looking forward to kind of breaking away from my parents. I'm like, oh, that's, that's cool. And I said, what do you do? And this guy, uh, Zach, he said, oh, my name is Zach. And he says, I'm actually in the entertainment industry. Oh, I said, what part of it? He said, well, he said, I run a blog that focuses in on the LGBT. B-T-Q community. And I look for 
gay and lesbian uh, actors and musicians to highlight their story. I was like, wow, how'd you get into that? He said, well, I'm gay myself. And he says, I always just kind of wish that there were more vocal people, higher, you know, voices, more recognition for people in the gay and lesbian community. And my wife said, well, Sabrina, what do you do? And she said, I'm a stripper. Now, that kind of took the wind out of our sails. I mean, we're sitting in front of these. And then they said, now, what do you do? I'm like, oh, you're going to need another drink before I tell you what I do, you know? <laughs> we had a great time watching the show. And then we went to an after party that we had been invited to. And we said our goodbyes to these three because we had spent some great time with them that night. And we exchanged information. We were on our way home. And I said to Christy, you know what? We should get in touch with them. Let's text them. Let's ask them if they would want to come over to our house tomorrow. So we texted them. Hey, would you guys want to come over and, and see our house tomorrow and come over for, for dinner? And they said, oh, definitely. We would love to come. So they came over for dinner, all three of them. We sat down and just had a great, introduced them to our kids. Got late. We said, hey, we've got a couple extra rooms. What would you guys think about just spending the night here tonight? Because it's getting late. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to. That'd be great. We're just kind of slumming it out there in Hollywood. We had no big plans. You know, okay. So they stayed the night. Next morning, we'd get up around the breakfast table start conversations about what it means to be a Christian, about what it is that I do as a pastor. And morning just kind of got away from us. I had to go to work. They went and did some things. But we texted them and said, what would you guys think about coming back again tonight and having dinner with us again? And they did. They came back, had dinner, sat around our fire pit. We talked about life. We talked about purpose. We talked about the Lord. The next morning, we had breakfast again. We let it go even further and further. It's kind of talking about backgrounds, about how beautiful it is that God has given to us grace, that he can just kind of free us of all the things that are kind of keeping us down in this world. Now, I'd like to tell you that after breakfast, they all got down on their knees and prayed to receive the Lord. But that's not what happened. We gave them hugs. We sent them on their way. And to this day, none of them have made a profession of faith. We've stayed in touch with them. Uh, Zach calls us when he's in town. He stayed with us a couple of other times. Sabrina actually got in touch with us when she left stripping and started getting into um, waitressing, just kind of feeling like she had something else to do with her life than what she was doing. We've stayed in touch with Dennis and his roommates out there at Pepperdine. These are people that I'm engaging. It's a long-haul thing. I tell you that story to tell you that when we get into prophetic engagement, it doesn't always land the way that we hoped that it would. Sometimes we get fixated on success. And God's not calling us to be successful. He's calling us to be faithful. I share my crash and burn story with you to just say, I'm still in it. I'm still in it with them. I'm still doing it. It's a long haul thing. But we're checking our hearts. We're making sure that it's coming out of the overflow of love that we have for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you and I are going to make an impact on people's lives, that engagement is going to start with our core. Faith on display. Sincerity and selflessness. Reliability and generosity consideration of others and dedication to the Lord. Where is God calling you to rise up? Where is he calling you to hit a higher mark? Let's be a people that are making an impact for all the right reasons. Amen? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your word today, and I praise you, Lord, for these servants, Timothy and Epaphroditus, the high calling that you had on their lives and their faith that was on display Make us a people that are serious about our core. I pray that as we root ourselves in you out of the overflow of our heart, out of our connection to the Lord, we would be a people that you would use in prophetic ways to impact people for your kingdom's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Awesome. Well, Brent.
We absolutely praise God for the way in which you have brought this truth to us this morning. And uh, the, the great thing about each of these pillars we've been walking through, we got one more next week, but this idea of demonstrable faith that then produces in us this prophetic, prophetic engagement, the ability to speak truth into the lives of people because we've established that what we say we believe is actually lived out, fleshed out in our actions, it's exciting. And, and it isn't just a philosophy, right? So each week as we've been talking about these things, it's not just that we sort of get the idea, but there are some actions. Steps. And these aren't, this isn't an exhaustive list, but I, wanna, I just want to give you five. Five things that we are already planning and sort of dreaming for the months ahead, the years ahead, things that we can be engaged in. One of them is a, a deal we're, we're sort of loosely calling the J29 initiatives. That comes out of Jeremiah 29. You may know this text, but there's a verse there where God says to the people who are in exile, he says, uh, seek the shalom or seek the peace of the city where I've planted you. For in its shalom, in its peace, you will find your own peace. He says to them, don't be waiting for opportunities to get out of there and go back where you came from, but instead put down roots that you can, you know, build shalom into the lives of other people. When we talk about J29 initiatives, we're talking about raising up teams of people to recognize that that citizenship is part of discipleship. So to be engaged in uh, civic order around here, like be plugged in with city council and with our mayor's office and with our governor and with our representatives. We talked about raising up teams that be plugged into local schools, local community centers, people that might be willing to be trained and raised up to be chaplains in our, uh, in our police department, in the fire department, in the hospitals around here. There's all kinds of ways for us to just engage in our city. That's what J29 initiatives are all about. We've talked about hosting town hall meetings and the idea of a town hall meeting is similar to what we do with ThinkWell, where we're bringing up hot topics or things that are pressing to people. But with the town hall meeting, we would specifically be creating space on our property for the neighbors to come in and have discussions that matter to them. So things either that are happening locally, whether it's talking about stuff that's in our schools or the homelessness increase, or maybe I know right now everybody's, our houses are all covered with spiders. Is that happening to you? My house is covered with spiders. I'd like to hear somebody tell me what I can do to get out from underneath the spider web, right? Um, we might bring in authors, we might show films, we might bring in uh, people to talk about broader sort of national or world issues. What do we do with human trafficking? What do we do with uh, immigration? How, how in the world do we respond to some of the pressing issues and concerns? We're going to be hosting town hall meetings to have a dialogue, including those of us in the body of Christ here, with our neighbors and the people from the community to go, what, what, what is our response here? How do we speak truth into those things? So, uh, J29 initiatives, town hall meetings, we're talking about evangelism training. I would guess that most of you in this room, if I were to ask you, hey, are you believing that Jesus will rescue you from sin and death, that he's given you resurrection life? You would affirm, yeah, I believe that. But then if I said, can you communicate the essentials of the gospel to other people that maybe don't know that Christ died to save them? A lot of people kind of have it in their guts, but they don't know how to get it out of their mouth. You know what I'm talking about? We don't, know how to, we don't necessarily know how to communicate it to others. We're going to be leaning into initiatives in the coming year that will train and equip us to not only communicate it verbally, but to live the gospel in a way that is demonstrable faith that other people can pick up. So there's uh, effective evangelism training coming. We've been talking about a program called um, Adopt-A-Block, which is basically us partnering with local charitable organizations that are already working in our local cities to go, hey, are there neighborhoods that need a little bit of extra love and care? Are there places where we could go in and mow the lawns of homes that are abandoned? Or we could repaint places that just need a little bit of extra love? Or are there people who are shut into their homes who need their windows cleaned or need their tile replaced? Or what, like, what are the ways in which we can care for our local city 
um, that, that's another initiative we're jumping into, uh, which we're calling Adopt-A-Block. And then the last one is the idea of a search and rescue van. Some of you who've maybe talked to Jeff Lilly about his time in Seattle know that they started an initiative up there where they bought a couple of vans and they just packed them up with uh, blankets and pairs of shoes and new socks and food and hot coffee and all kinds of things for people that are on the streets. And they go out late at night. Sometimes they go out between like 11 and 3 and they take teams of people just to find homelessness out where it's occurring, whether it's on an off-ramp or it's in an underpass or whatever, and come alongside people and go, hey, can we offer you a cup of hot coffee in the name of Jesus? Can we give you a blanket? Can we give you a new pair of socks? We're hoping to work in conjunction with the OC Rescue Mission or some other local organizations to see if we can't buy a van, and then we would staff it. So we might staff it with folks from base camp, which is our college minister, or maybe from your adult fellowships, or we'd staff it with high school students or whatever, to just get out and share the love of Jesus, to demonstrate that what we say we believe actually has legs, that it walks and lives, the hands and feet of Jesus. These are only five initiatives. There's a lot more coming. But as Brent said really clearly this morning, none of that is possible apart from us being in the Lord. Paul says it again and again, in the Lord, in the Lord. That is at the core of what demonstrable faith, producing prophetic engagement means. And so as we close our worship this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet and we're going to sing the praises of this Jesus who is everything to us, who empowers us, who equips us. We're going to sing the praises of this God apart from whom it is impossible for us to demonstrate faith and speak truth into the lives of our friends and neighbors. Will you sing this with us as we celebrate who Jesus is?